We have a lot of kids today. I think we need to say some extra prayers. All right. <laughs> yeah. There are two scriptures today that I will be reading. The first one is from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. The second scripture I'll be reading is from Galatians. Chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those that who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thank you very much, Becca. This is the Word of God. Lord God, I pray over this word as I'm about to preach it. May these be your words, Lord God. Lead us into all truth, Holy Spirit. In your name I pray, Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting a new series this week, and it is about sin. Don't don't get too excited. Um, Now when we talk about sin, there's a lot of opinions on what sin is. Some have their own list. For instance, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, said the only sin she recognized was bringing a child into this world that you couldn't take care of. Some have their own ways of seeing sin. Some people would say that sin doesn't really exist. Sin is just a construct on the part of religion to control people. But no matter how dedicated someone is to that idea, when we see a mass killing like we saw in Colorado just a few weeks ago, Sandy Hook, so many other tragedies, the ethnic, ethnic cleansing in Darfur and in Rwanda. The most relativistic thinker will look at that tragedy and they will say, something has gone wrong. Biblically, socially, historically, in every way imaginable, that is called sin. The Bible has a lot of lists of sins such as in Proverbs, as Becca just read, or in Galatians. Really, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23, will be our principal scripture, really, for this whole series. Normally, I'll take a person of scripture, I'll go verse by verse. This is like word by word, almost. Um, this whole series will be based on this, about these sins that we can still fall into. 
Um, the biblical, uh, like once again, biblically, socially, historically, every way is manageable, we call that sin. The Bible has lots of lists for sins. When it comes to the seven deadly sins, we only we should only see these really as ways of grouping sins together, or really the motivation that is behind sins. Before Jesus came along, many people thought, well, I got my list of thin, sins, and as long as I don't do these sins, then I'm righteous before God. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you are guilty of murder. If you lust after someone else, you've committed adultery. So with these seven deadly sins, um, what these are, not that any sin is not deadly, these are the motivations that lead into this. Um, instead of, uh, once again, could have done any of these lists, but it's a little easier to do a series that's seven weeks instead of 14 weeks long. Um, so we're kind of grouping those together. Um, the seven deadly sins is something a lot of people um, th- um, know a little bit about. Um, know a little bit about, but not many know much about it. Once again, we don't like to talk about sin. One of the cardinal sins in our culture is to call sin, sin. The author Douglas Copeland wrote, I, What I write are not sins, I write tragedies. We make excuses for sin, we try to minimize sin, or we cover it up with reasonable sounding words like, Well, those are just my triggers. But having a trigger is not an excuse for sin. So why seven? Why not fourteen? In I in um, AD five ninety, Pope Gregory the first made the list of the seven deadly sins that we're most familiar with today. These are more like seven categories of sin or motivations for evil actions. It's sort of like simplifying the Ten Commandments. The Bible will simplify the Ten Commandments even further, much further than even seven, which it'll be um, one, which is the whole law is summed up in this statement: Love your neighbor as yourself. Or the most important commandment, to love the Lord your God. Though the list of sins, however, can be expanded into affinity. What's important to know is that all sin results in death. The soul that sins shall die. But equally important for the believers to know that we have power over sin. That is the Holy Spirit. William Faulkner, in Eyes I Lay Dying, wrote, People to whom sin is just a matter of words... To them, salvation is just a matter of words, too. Sin is looking for the right thing in the wrong place. That was St. Augustine of Hippo. George MacDonald, the spiritual mentor of one C.S. Lewis, you may remember from the Chronicles of Narnia, said, Primarily, God is, is not bound to punish sin. He is bound to destroy sin. The only vengeance worth having on sin is to make the sinner himself its executioner. When speaking of the seven deadly sins, in 1993, all the way back then, MTV did a special on the deadly sins, which I thought was interesting. I didn't want to watch it, so I just took somebody else's word on it, um, Pastor um, John MacArthur. He had said of this series, uh, they asked people what they thought about the seven deadly sins. Now, medieval theology came up with the seven deadly sins, not in the sense that they were the only seven sins, but that they were... But they were thought, they were the seven motivational sins that sort of motivated a lot of other sins. Pride, lust, covetousness, anger, envy, gluttony, and sloth or laziness. So these were the seven deadly sins. This is an amazing MTV survey. And guess who they surveyed? You know, great theologians like Ice-T and Queen Latiba. You know, a whole bunch of people like this. And they, and they basically, every one of these people denied that those were categorically sins. One of the rappers said, lust is a sin? 
Are you kidding? That's what I live for. Another one said, pride pride is a sin, are you kidding? Well, all, we all need pride. When the survey was ended, this is what the MTV writer's comment was. No sin is as evil as the killjoy attitude of those who think someone's behavior and his offense is an offense to some holy God. The problem with that statement is it is an offense to a holy God. And in our society, it seems like the only sin is to have any shame over sin. I understand that because sin is a scary thing if you don't know Jesus. You need to justify, you need to somehow put yourself as better than others so that maybe when you die, you won't face judgment. But we all have this deep-seated feeling that we know that beyond this life, there's a judgment that is coming. Amen. For, for believers, we can look at sin and not have this fear because our sins were nailed to the cross. That is what we celebrated last week. And when Christ rose from the dead... The payment was good, and we are free from the power of sin, but we still have a we still have a sinful nature. That's what we read in Galatians chapter 5. Once again, there are many lists of sins in the scripture. By some counts, there is 124 unique sins listed in the New Testament alone. One of the most informative, I believe, is in the book of Acts that is mentioned the fleshly nature of Acts of, of Galatians, sorry, Galatians chapter 5. This list gets to the very heart of our very nature, but also the work of the Holy Spirit as well. For if we live to please the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But if we live to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, we will not gratify the Spirit, and we will work towards death instead of life. As a believer, our attitude towards sin does change. Because we know that our sins are forgiven on the cross, but we should have deep sorrow. You may think that you look all put together today. You may think you're fooling everybody, but all I have to look at is the cross. Because the cross tells me your sin, I don't care if you're like, oh, I double parked once, I I said a bunch of white lie, or whatever you want to say. The cross tells me your sin is so heinous. It is so reviled that it took the blood of God himself. Sheep and goats were enough. But it took the Son of God himself to cover over your sin. You know that about me too. I'm your pastor. But you know my sin is that bad as well. As we are saved, we still deal with the sinful nature, and it looks to minimize the joy that we should have in Christ to make us once again a slave to what we are not a slave to. We are a slave to righteousness, but sin wishes to make us bound once again. I don't want to make this whole series about behavior modification. That's the law. That's the law. Do more good things than bad things and God will smile at you. The grace of God tells us that there was nothing we could do that was pleasing to God. But in His grace, Christ died for us. So that we can live a life of freedom towards sin. That we can do what Col- we can really do what Colossians 3.5 says. Colossians 3.5 is, is not a hopeful promise or maybe, or just good thinking. It is a promise from God that we can It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It would not be there if we could not do it, that we can put to death these sins and live the life that God has meant us to live. Throughout this series, we're going to look at three things on each one of these sins. We're going to look at case studies throughout the scripture. As you can imagine, a lot of people we call heroes in the Bible, they had their own problems. They persist in problems that we can look at and we can learn from. 
So we're going to look at what causes sin. We're going to look at what is the sin the caricature of. In Lord of the Rings, the bad guys are the orcs. Well, the orcs weren't always green, ugly, mutilated. They were elves. And they were taken by the dark powers, mutilated beyond belief, and a new rune form emerged. These sins, because sin, sin and Satan can't create anything, they pervert what God has done. Yes. Sins are perverted virtues or caricatures of virtues. And finally, what is the cure? Today, we are looking at the sin of wrath. You can go to that last slide. Not the last slide, but the slide after the verses there. It's the one that has the quote on it. This one? Nope. That one's funny, too. But the other one. Yeah, that one's funny. Thank you. Um, wrath, or fits of anger, rage, that you might see in the scripture. Um, I guess nobody's quite old enough to remember the old Hope TV show. That's okay. That says, Do you, don't make me angry, you wouldn't like me when I do. Good Friday was last week. One year during Good Friday, I was just kind of looking at social media. I was looking at our society. I was really, I just, I felt motivated to write this as a reflection. Good Friday is a special time of the year. It is a time that we remember the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a time of reflection and introspection. When I think of the trial of Jesus, I'm always amazed that those who shouted Hosanna in the highest were also those who shouted crucify him. It is a dark moment of insight into the fallen human soul. I think those who were there, who did both, did so because of false, righteous anger. Anger is heroin for the soul. It feels good. It feels like righteousness. And we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves that our anger is righteousness. Much like that crowd that day. We will even tell ourselves God is angry at sin, which he is. But we say... So I, so I am being like God when I rail against another person who's made in the image of God. But what does the anger of God look like? There are many things it looks like, but it is rarely fast. Yet often we take umbrage at someone else without knowing all the facts or even considering mercy or understanding. The thought that I might be wrong does not even enter into our minds when we are filled with fire. We currently live in a society in which we can express our moral rage quickly and with others who are like-minded, much like the crowd who shouted for the blood of the King of Kings. In my life, I want to be more like the one who, when nails were driven into his hands and into his feet, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, rather than the one so high on his own indignation that I can't realize I'm in the crowd shouting, crucify him. In our scripture day in Galatians, specifically fits of anger, the word there is thymos. It means smoke, it means to breathe out heat, anger, forthwith boiling up, soon subsiding once again. It is the fiery temper. It's much like in the book Moby Dick, the quote, from hell's heart I stab at thee. Or for you Trekkies, that's what Khan said. Um, the word strife, in some of our translations, it's enmity or hatred. In, uh, in some translations, that is ekathria, um, um, which means hostility by implication, a reason for opposition, enmity, hatred. This is the slow burn. This is the lifelong hatred you have towards somebody else. Divisions is another way they put it in, in Galatians. 
These are, these are leading us towards wrath. What causes wrath? Screenwriter Andrew Clavin said that anger is the devil's cocaine. Well, that makes, us, uh, makes me laugh. I can't help but agree. It's something I don't think I'd ever want to, I'd ever want to admit to in those times where I did have that kind of anger and fire in my belly that it felt good. Outrage has become a, a favorite pastime in America. We look for things to be outraged about. Are you constantly angry? Try to refrain from anger from one day, tomorrow. Don't get angry at all. Can you do it? Does the thought of not being angry for a day make you angry? <laughs> now, it feels like righteousness without having to be righteous. Quick anger is never righteous. I want to look at the case study of Moses. Moses, the great man of faith, who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, the land of slavery, into the land of freedom. He had a past. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian and hit, his, hit him in the sand. And I remember watching the, the Prince of Egypt. I don't know if you've watched yeah. that movie. It's, it's great, by the way. But this part is just hilarious because it makes it seem like it's an accident. I think he falls into a pyramid, gets stomped on a, by like a camel or something. I can't remember. That's not what the scripture says. He looked this way and that, and he murdered him cold. Didn't give him a chance to defend himself. He didn't, throw, he, didn't, he didn't go to the Pharaoh like he could have, like he will later under God's authority and say, let my people go. He murders this man because he's angry. We can, we can understand that, right? They're beating one of his people. This is not godly anger. It's a fit of rage. It makes me think of um, this last week, uh, this last uh, Sunday, actually Easter Sunday, uh, me and my wife and my in-laws, we went to the uh, grotto over in West Bend, and um, we almost witnessed Avisai. Um, apparently swans are kind of vicious creatures. I didn't know this. I mean, the, 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 the ballets and stuff do not prepare you to see a real-life swan. So we're, we're, we, go to the, we go to the grotto, and there's the swan pond, and it says, don't get close to the swans, they bite. I'm like, Really? And I know they do now because there was a goose in the swan pond and the, and the swans did not like that. It was like a scene out of like West Side Story. I was expected like the swan to be like, you know, flicking a, a quarter up in the air and you know, doing this. Because he goes after, he starts doing like, you know, getting all big and everything. Like, you know, like gangbangers used to do in the 90s. And, uh, and the goose, you know, he's got to get into it. He starts, he starts like swimming away and the swan goes after him takes him by his neck and shoves him underwater for a good while, and we're like, I think that swan's about to murder him. <laughs> That's what Moses actually does. He murders this man. One cause for wrath is self-righteousness. Let's look at these two verses. Moses sees an injustice. It is right and proper to be angry concerning injustice, but Moses does not act justly. Why? Because he wasn't in control. He did not have the fruit of the Spirit that said that we are to be self-controlled. That we are to act with gentleness. It was not the act of a freedom fighter, but it was the act of a murderer. He looks one way and then the next, and he kills the man and hides his body 
It's like an episode of Law and Order. Here's the second cause for wrath that we even see in the life of Moses. Whether real or imagined, it's disappointment. Moses was a Hebrew, and he was born during a very bad time to be born as a Hebrew because the Pharaoh wanted every one of these children dead. And Moses' mom, being wise, puts him in a basket, has him go down the river, his sister watches him from a ways, and then, then Pharaoh's sister picks him up. That's why he's called Moses, because it means to be drawn out from the river. And so he is a Hebrew living in, a, in an Egyptian society. He is kept from the life, lived experience of the Hebrews, but he's also not an Egyptian, so he's a man of no nation, of no people. I think that feeds into perhaps his anger at this moment. James 4, 1 and 2. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Disappointment, whether real or imagined, causes wrath. Maybe things didn't go the way you were wanting them to in a relationship, in a job. Maybe you really are a victim of injustice. How are you acting towards that? Are you acting as Christ or are you acting as the crowd? I remember when I was uh, working at this treatment facility, we got in, we uh, had donated to us a bunch of clothes. And I remember there was this one kid there, he was the youngest kid, he really wanted these clothes, but they were extra, extra large. They would have, he was so many sizes too small for him. And he got so angry, he started tipping over tables. Now, if I gave him those clothes, they wouldn't do him any good. He wouldn't want to wear them, they wouldn't stay on him. But he was so angry. You know, I laugh at that kid, but I mean... If you ever played a board game with me, you probably know that uh, I have somewhat a hard time controlling my anger when things don't go my way. <laughs> Here's a third cause: difficult people. Rarely is there anything. Really, is there anything I need to say about this? Unless you live alone under a rock on the moon, you most certainly have been angry at somebody else. Because difficult people do make us angry. Maybe they hold different beliefs, or maybe they unintentionally, or maybe intentionally, try to hurt you. I'm going to go back to myself here. I, mean, I, really, I went over wrath first in the deadly sins, because I believe if we're going to talk about sins, we should start with us. Because when it comes to being angry over sin, we should look at our own sins before we look at anybody else. And this is one of those things where I've dealt with all my life is anger. When I look at Moses, I feel certain kinship with him. I know how he feels at times. Here's one time where actually I did handle my anger well, but it was one of those things dealing with difficult people do make you angry. Same treatment facility. This kid was getting awfully violent in his room, and instead of restraining him right away, I gave him a chance. And he took that chance to run to the other living area. So I ran after him. This is really, really not allowed. He could hurt other kids. He's in an agitated state. So I need to run over there making sure he doesn't hurt himself or others. And so I chase after him, and for some reason, I think it was the Holy Spirit telling me, don't go straight go around. I go around, and just about the time I would have been the other way, he throws a chair where I would have been. So I'm I'm behind him, and he looks behind me, and the the look of of fear on his face um, tempered down my anger, and I did not act out of rage. Thank you, Jesus, of course. Difficult people, of course, they can make us, they can influence that in us. 
to have that rage or division. But what are we told in the scriptures? To leave room for the wrath of God. I say a bunch of silly things, but many of us have been genuinely wronged. Have genuinely undergone injustice, work, family, whatever. <laughs> and our knee-jerk reaction, of course, is to have a fit of rage. To rage at the person, and we will lie to ourselves, this is righteousness, I'm going after them, I'm exposing them. But that's not the way Christ responds, that is not godly anger. Here's the fourth cause, selfishness or self-importance. This is primarily why Moses and we get angry. We believe we deserve better, and the things that are not the way they should be, of course, cause us rage. What it basically is, is forgetting the gospel. We think we deserve better than what we get. The gospel tells us that we've gotten better than what we deserve, because what we deserve, well, we were talking about sin, right? The soul that sins shall die. The penalty for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That all of our life, we've been working towards one thing, but we got grace and mercy. Take me, for instance. When I'm out driving and someone cuts in front of me and doesn't even bother to turn on their signal, this is something that can set me off. Why is that? I don't like the answer, but this answer is true. In my mind, I am the most important person on the road. When you get angry at the guy at work or the gal at work or school or what have you, they're being insufferable and you can't forgive them, that is looking at the cross and saying, not enough. I know Christ forgives you, but I'm not going to forgive you. Because I'm more important. Here's the fifth cause for anger. Personal attack. Moses, after he leads the people out of Israel, they constantly complain and murmur against him. As though he has all the control over these things. And this causes anger. His most spectacular act of anger, of course, was killing the Egyptian. But the one that cost him the most is in Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 through 12. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. What's the most anger has cost you? Probably not as much as it cost Moses. He could not enter the promised land. It's not all doom and gloom. God still loves Moses. Moses is still his friend. Even though the consequences of this, they were there. Moses keeps going to the Lord, and Lord one, the Lord eventually tells him, enough, we're not talking about this again. It's literally what you'll read on in Numbers if you continue reading. Do you struggle with anger? Ask the people around you. If they hesitate, the answer is yes. If they say yes, the answer is yes. If they start making excuses for your behavior, the answer is yes. Now you may think because you don't have the explosive type of anger, you don't deal with anger, but here are three primary bad ways of handling anger. See which one you gravitate towards. Passive. This is where you bottle it up and you don't forgive, but you think you are fine because you are not flying off the handle. handle. Inwardly, you are in pieces, but nobody knows. 
This is the person who dies at like 45 because the waitress didn't put pan- bananas on his pancakes. I told her uh, They bottle it up. They're not expressively angry. They put on a smiling face all the time, all the while having murder in their heart for so many people who don't even know what the problem is. I remember one time as a pastor, um, this woman, not here by the way, so don't be thinking of anybody you know. Um, woman comes in my office and um, she looked bad. And she looked bad for her age. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I start talking with her. And she starts telling me all these people she feuds with, she doesn't talk with, and the list goes on and on and on. And I asked her, do you think any of these people even know you're angry with them? Well, they should. Do you think they do? No, of course they don't. It's like, who's hurting them? Uh, that's what holding on, this is what passive anger does to us. It's like taking poison, poison and waiting for the other person to die. It only hurts us. Two, aggressive. This is the anger we are most familiar with. This is thyros. It's breathing out fire. This is the type where you put a hole in the wall or break your stuff or get into a fight. This is the one that's outwardly destructive. The third one is passive-aggressive. This is the type where you hide behind sarcasm or talk behind someone's back in order to punish them. Facebook, enough said. Like what Elaine and Seinfeld said when she heard how guys bully each other, and they asked her, Well, what do girls do? She says, Nothing. We tease someone until they develop an eating disorder. <laughs> That's the cause of wrath. What is it a caricature of? Like I said before, the devil and sin, they can't create anything, they can only pervert what God has made. So you may ask yourself, Why didn't I make this one? What is it a perversion of? Because caricature, caricature starts with the C, and the other point started with the C. Um, looking at each of the seven deadly sins, we can see godly virtues which bring life perverted into something that brings death. Godly anger. God gets angry. Perhaps you have heard of the wrath of God. Ezekiel 25, 17. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. And they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. I submit to you that is not to be read as, I will, I will execute great vengeance on them. Well, no, I am the Lord when I see my vengeance. God gets angry. God gets furious with sin. And we have this life to shed ourselves of our sin before He punishes us for our sin. This is the key to understanding God's anger. It is, uh, is Psalm 86.15. But you, O Lord, are, God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Time and a calm head. What needs to happen can't be about you. It can't be about your own offended sympathies, but about God's offended glory. There are good reasons to be angry. It's good to be angry at times. Things like child tra- child trafficking, you should be angry about. Ethnic cleansing, drugs, people who prey on others. When good is called evil and evil good, these are great reasons to be angry. But in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't dwell and allow it to consume you. Jesus himself got angry. Jesus gets to Jerusalem, to the temple, and he finds a racket going on. Dishonest men bilking 
devout people out of their money so that they can sell them livestock and sacrifices. What had happened at the time, people would bring their sacrifices to Jerusalem, and they would get to the temple, and there would be people standing in front of the temple, and they'd say, hey, your lamb is no good. You know, and it could be a pure, spotless, perfect lamb. Like, your lamb's no good. You have to buy our lamb. They won't let you sacrifice that lamb. What's their lamb? It's worth probably three or four times as much as a normal lamb is. As a pastor who's worked in a church for a long time, i got to say, as soon as, they put, as soon as it's for a church, the price goes up three or four times. Um, those of you who've uh, paid for a wedding, you know if it's for a wedding. It's like, oh, how much are these paper plates? You know, you know one buck. Oh, it's for a wedding? Five dollars. <laughs> Dishonest people bilking the devout out of their money. You probably know the story. Jesus flips over the tables. He lets the animals free. He proclaims his father's house will be a house of prayer, but they have made it a den of thieves. In John's gospel, John's gospel, John adds another detail. In John chapter, I'm going to say 12, 13 through 16, I think I wrote that down wrong. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The key there, the added thing, is a whip of cords. This helps us understand what Jesus is doing here. He did not just see what was happening and explode at these men. He took time and he bound a whip together. Maybe they would have preferred if he just tipped it over, but he, he got a whip out. He is in control of his anger. He is exercising the fruit of the spirit of self-control and love. It may not seem like love, but when you love God, when you love people, and you see these things destroyed, it causes a righteous anger, but it is not a hot anger, it's a cool anger. He is angry, but it is a godly anger. It's an anger over sin. There are three things we should be angry over sin about. First, foremost, ourselves. If you are not angry over the sin in your own life, you're a hypocrite, just like the Pharisees. If all you see, the problem is in the world, instead of what Paul saw, he says, Christ Jesus came to and died for sinners, of whom I am the worst. You should feel that way. I should feel that way. I am the worst, because I don't know you. I didn't live your life, but I lived my own. I know my own thoughts and intentions. I know times I've been like a hypocrite. I know times where I did mean to cause offense, and I did it anyway. I should be first furious over the sin in myself, because my sin drove Christ to the cross. Second thing we should be angry about over sin is sin that's in God's church. That's what we see with Jesus Christ. He has no sin of his own to be angry over, but he sees sin in his Father's house. It is right, it is just to be angry over these things. What's Jesus so upset over? His Father's house. There's no excuse. When churches start being soft on the Word of God, there is reason to be angry. We don't want to be quick to anger and post something on social media we'll regret later, but honestly, my Father's house will be a house of prayer. And since the time of Jesus Christ, so many have been trying to make it a den of thieves. Heartbreakingly, probably the greatest export the church in America has given to the church in Africa is a, is a theology that if they, 
If they give, if they give their money, God will prosper them. And these evangelists who go over to Africa, as they take away the money these people need for food that week, are nowhere to be seen when they go starving for the rest of it. They promised them from God's word that if they would give $100 U.S. money, which is a fortune in some places, that God will give them 1000 by the end of the week. Of course, they're not responsible if God doesn't. They've made his house a den of thieves. There's reason to be angry. There's reason to tip over tails and tables, tables, tables over such things. When we see so many churches who will deviate from God's word, twist God's word, that's reason to be angry. So much of this is allowed because so many Bible-believing Christians say, well, that's just somebody else's perspective on this. This is God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle from the word of God. Finally, yes, we should be angry at things we see in the wide world. It is right and proper to be angry over things like child trafficking, which is a blot on this world. In a very real sense, there's more slaves today than there was in the antebellum south. We just don't see them. They are hidden, they are taken. In fact, I mean, I, I remember there was a girl in my own youth group where this happened to. She was taken off the streets like it was a grim fairy tale by a predator that nobody would ever have guessed. It was a 19-year-old girl. And I'm not even going to go into the horrific things that happened from there. It's right, it's proper to be angry about these things. But our anger, we do not sin. We look to be godly in our anger. So we talked about what causes what causes wrath, what causes sinful anger, what is it a, what is it a mockery or caricature of, but what about the cure to anger? At this time, worship team, please come up. The key to any relationship, the key to the cure of anger, it is forgiveness. We are told to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. In 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. In church, in our families, in our friend groups, the key to any long-lasting relationship will be forgiveness because we will eventually get on each other's nerves. We'll eventually offend each other, whether we need to or not. If you think you've never done anything to offend somebody in your life, you're probably the problem. <laughs> it's always the other person's fault. I'm always acted upon. Chances are you're, you're probably offending, hurting people just as much as they're hurting you. We can hold on to it, take that poison, waiting for the other person to die, or we can do what 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Do I need to say more than that? To love each other deeply. To decide at certain points in time, I'm not going to hold this over the person anymore, because love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love never fails. Second way, second cure for wrath. Remember Remember the debt you've been forgiven of. You deserve hell, but God doesn't give you what you deserve. Why should you look to hold people to the debt they owe you? Jesus gave a parable at one point in time about a servant who owed an outrageous amount to the king. And the king, instead of throwing him in jail and making him pay for every penny, forgives the debt. The same servant finds one of his fellow servants who owes him so very little, and he throws that man into jail. 
And when the king finds this out, he is, he is furious that the one who is forgiven much would not forgive little. Remember the debt you've been forgiven of. Finally, prayer. Prayer. I think prayer is probably one of the key ways of dealing with anger, wrath, bitterness. And, you know, at, when you're at your most angry, that is the time you should pray. In fact, we have several psalms. We call them the imprecatory psalms. They're the psalms that really kind of, like, weird people out because there's stuff like, I want to see their head bashed against a rock. I love the psalms because it's the language of the heart. It's the, the way the person is feeling. But they don't stay there. When you're in deep prayer, you can't stay there. When you start feeling the joy of the Lord, it melts away wrath. One time, I can't remember what I was angry about. It wasn't anything in our relationship. Me and my wife were both angry about this, and Becca said, let's pray. And I responded to her, I don't want to pray, I want to be angry. <laughs> I think a lot of times we're like that, right? We know, we know the heat is, is building up. It's getting to a fever pitch. And instead of prayer, we're like, I want to feel this. Pray. Pray. That's the cure for wrath. Worship team is going to lead us in a song. This is a time for us to have that introspection. Like the song we sang earlier, Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's the time where we look in our life because you know what these things do? They bound us in a chain that's not our own. And we do not live the abundant life Christ meant us to live. Much like in the Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan tells the children, you're not as happy as I mean you to be. You don't have the joy he means you to have. So maybe you're holding on to a root of bitterness. Maybe you've made excuses for yourself. Well, I'm just an angry person. Those are my triggers, and they know it, and they keep doing it anyway. No, you have power to put to death whatever earthly is in you. This is our time Let's cry out to the Lord, search my heart, speak what is true. And then when he speaks what is true, we allow the great sculptor to take away the what doesn't look like Jesus Christ in us. Instead of being the crowd who shouts crucify him, we're the one who says, when nails pierced his hands, pierced his feet, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Worship you, please lead us.
Lord, I think the one thing, we look at our sin, of course we have sorrow towards sin, but we have great gratitude towards you, the one who has freed us from sin, for it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. To know that you abhor sin, they are abomination in your sight, but you have saved us from our sin and made us your son and daughter. Thank you, Lord. Those who are here today, maybe you're throughout my message, you're thinking, well, I've never made Jesus Lord of my life. How do I get from there to where, where I'm at? Well, first you need to realize that, yes, you too are a sinner. Look, let, let's look at that one sin, anger. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That's one sin. Have you hated someone in your hearts? You are guilty of murder before God himself, and you face him on judgment day. But know that he has forgiven you on the cross, and if you would accept his sacrifice, make him Lord of your life, he will save you. Today, whether you're watching at home or you're here in person, do not wait. For today, maybe the last day of your life, you could go into an eternity without knowing the one who's paid your debts, and you'll pay your own debt. Today's blessing comes from Jude, verses 24 and verses 25. Would you raise your hands and receive the blessing of the Lord today? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Lord, I bless those who are here. To know the one who can keep us from stumbling, we are not slaves to sin, we are slaves to righteousness. And it is only the lie of Satan that tells us we have no power over the sin in our life. We have the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. We have power to put to death whatever, whatever is earthly within us. To set our mind on things above. To love you in a way we could have never have loved you before. Oh, how you love us. Not only do you forgive the debt, you make us your son and daughter, you adopt us into a family. Glory to you, God, you present us pure and spotless. I pray this blessing over this congregation today. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Worship team is going to continue to play. Stay as long as you like.